need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome to another episode of the China Business Cast. My name is Simon Deratz. I'll be your host for today. And we have a very fun interview because I don't know about you, but I've been feeling different about my personal health and the health around the people around me, especially since last year. I wanted to invite Jonathan Chapon to join, not so much as a sales pitch for his services, but more to give you insights on the health industry. It's not just important for you, but if you are doing business in China, your employees, your Chinese staff will care about their health benefits for themselves and for their family and the additional things that can be given to them. And if you're working with China and you don't have a team yourself, it's good to understand the logic and the reasoning why some people make career decisions of moving away or staying away from the office just to be able to take care of the family of the or the people they care about. I think it's interesting to to get this perspective from someone that's been in the industry for 12 years already and at the same time learn of his journey, his journey from starting in a company, becoming the general manager, dealing with a takeover or a joint venture with a Chinese company, just seeing this cultural change and how he stays connected with other entrepreneurs and C-level executives. I think it's important to also get a feel of what's out there and how you can learn from other people that are your peers or equals or people you look up to. Hope you enjoy. Please do stick around for till the end. Episode 118 with Raymond Ng, we had a question. You could submit your questions. We selected one. You will hear Lena, our co-host, with the winner or and the winning question and the answer to the winning question. So stick around. Hopefully you like this episode. If you do, please scroll all the way down and use your Apple podcast and leave a comment or a star or review. Really appreciate that. Enjoy this episode and hope you're in good health. Okay, I'm here today with Jonathan Chapon and we're located here in Chufu Road. I think it's it's been full of decoration. It's amazing to see, not decoration, I mean reconstruction. We see a lot of new places being built here in China continuously. It's hard to find a, a crane in China, I think, in the last yeah. 10 years that I have been here. For you, probably the same. Right? Yeah, this is the magic of Shanghai. You know, <laughs> it's developing and expanding and renewing. And uh, so it's a great city for that. Yeah. Cool. You came here on an exchange program in 2007. And then you kind of had to come back in 2009. Correct. <laughs> yes. So I guess I kind of like it, you know, too much. <laughs> and then uh, I couldn't bear, you know, not to be in China anymore. So after just about six months in China, then I took the virus, if I may say, of China. And then I, I, I decided to do whatever I could to, to come back. Yeah. And you end up working for Abacare. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Since 2009. 
that's really unique to see a foreigner to be working from 2009 till now 2021 yeah at the same company yeah that's uh, i guess yeah unusual but uh, for me it's been quite of a journey actually uh being in in that company started the business from small to being more medium-sized now and uh, i think what we're doing is very at least for me very interesting and and uh, developing rapidly in china hmm. Can you, can you share more about the internal journey? Because you started as an employee and now you're the general manager. Sure. So I came in, as you said, first in 2007 as an exchange uh, student. So uh, to join for a program with my university. And I liked it here. Uh, I had, uh, you know, really a, a strong uh, willingness to work in China because in Europe was difficult at the time. And when I came back in 2009, I already actually tried to apply for several jobs from Europe, but that was a bit tough. Uh, so joining Abacare was very random for me because at this time I didn't know anything about insurance and I just applied actually, uh, applied online and I was lucky enough that they were looking for people. So throughout uh, working in Abacare, I actually had joke saying that I almost did every job except cleaning the carpet, but that's, that's very true actually. And started in, in sales actually for, for about three and a half years. Then, uh, sales director for another couple of years afterwards. So managing a sale, a team of salespeople and then moved into managing key accounts, uh, for our company in China. So we have both Shanghai and Beijing. So I started with Shanghai key account and then slowly I took over then all of China key account. And then finally moved into first management role in 2016, where I took over the Shanghai office. Uh, and then a year and a half afterwards, I took over uh, the management of both Shanghai and Beijing offices. Wow, it's impressive too. And this is Abacare is is now a Chinese company, but it wasn't a Chinese company before. Right? Yes, so Abacare is founded by a Frenchman who's been here for about thirty eight years in Asia. So he spent all of his career here. He worked in various business, but for the last twenty five years in insurance. And for about two years now, we are part of a Chinese group, which is called Datong, which is great actually, because we have a lot of access uh, that we didn't have before in China being, you know, foreign owned. And we understand much better the market as well. So I think it's a, it's a great development for, for us. Because how has that, how has that been, been different, this, this transition for you? Cool. Well, we, we moved from, say, a family owned, uh, if you like, or family style business to a more corporate. We are still, you know, uh, working in a very, uh, you know, close environment and family uh, spirit, I would say, with, with our team. But now we are part of a larger group and we are one of their unit, if you like, and we are the international arm uh, of that corporate, which is really willing to uh, develop also their business outside of China. So I see ourselves as, uh, first of all, a stepping stone for them to acquire experience outside of, of mainland China, where they're already very strong. And uh, second, we bring in some new competence as well, because we have a very strong specialty at Abacare, 
Just to brief, what do we do? We are international insurance broker. We have a very strong expertise and focus on high-end medical insurance, which is a niche market so far in China, but fast growing. Uh, actually, since it's small, then it can only grow bigger. So I think that's, that's kind of the exciting thing about being uh, part of a Chinese group is I think we are somehow bringing them value and they bring us a lot of value as well about developing our business in mainland China. This is what I hear about a lot of Chinese companies are going global, but they're also going more international domestically yes. by acquiring companies that can be that branch. Yeah, to, exactly. To tap in. I think in our industry, we are the only foreign broker really who is part of a Chinese group. Uh, I mean, at least I'm not aware about others. So we are in the, you know, in the first, uh, first place in, in that regard. And definitely I think Chinese entrepreneurs, because even though it's a large company, they are very entrepreneurial minded. And uh, the chairman is uh, really a visionary in terms of where he wants to be. And he knows that China is definitely a huge base, but it's, it's not enough. Actually, they, they definitely want to bring uh, value also to clients outside of China. Yeah, I personally go to United Family Hospital and there uh, I know that the number of Chinese customers for them has grown a lot and still yes, growing. The percentage is increased. So why is it? Why is it that Chinese are interesting in having this kind of sort of like expat health insurance package? Actually, the market changed a lot. So it means we moved in from like kind of uh, expat only kind of perception and product, but actually all of the international brands are in China now. So this means that uh, all major European insurers, American, British, etc., they all have a presence in China and they are able to, of course, insure uh, Chinese people, not only in China, but also people uh, traveling uh, overseas or willing, you know, to get access to care overseas. So why are they interested? Uh, because, you know, the price of United Family is <laughs> certainly not cheap, right? So uh, that's probably one of the answers. So there is, there are ways where you can get that covered, you know, uh, outside of just having your own money. But also, I think the... Uh, aspect of uh, having the possibility to get uh, treated outside of China, you know, for some specific condition, maybe of interest, whether it's in Singapore or Europe or US or Japan even, uh, the social schemes, they actually, uh, they are not covering any treatment outside mainland China. So if you do want access to uh, to care and, and to be covered there, then you need to get private insurance. Yeah. And most of the insurance covered by companies for their employees is quite basic, I would say, right? It is. I mean, there are different levels, obviously, but what is popular uh, in the market, for, especially for Chinese employees, mostly like supplementary plans to social security. So it's kind of a top-up to social insurance, but the limits are pretty low and there is nothing such as direct payments uh, to hospitals so that a little bit cumbersome as well because you always have to pay first and so on. Uh, and the level of protection is limited. So in case of a large event, you may end up having quite quite a lot of money out of pocket. Uh, well, in private insurance, actually, uh, the products are designed in a way that they do have agreements with hospitals, whether they are international or like even public hospitals now in China, uh, so that you can have access to direct uh, direct billing and cashless 
treatment, especially in case of hospitalization, it's, it's quite important because it avoids, uh, you know, big uh, money advance. Uh, and also, it, it's also available now for even for outpatient or even dental, things like mm-hmm. that. Soon after I came, I became a general manager of, of a company and I was not aware of all the HR yes. issues that come with social insurances and benefits and all these kind of payments. Luckily, I had a team to help me with. But what would be your advice to business owners about this mm. social system and how to prepare them at least? My advice to them would be not to overlook it because I, I mean, especially if we are talking of a foreign GM, for instance, or senior manager, he wouldn't get, even myself, I cannot say I have a, a hundred percent clear view and vision about social scheme because it's complex in China. Uh, but my point is don't overlook that. Uh, so this means that uh, talk to your HR about what, uh, what can be done or what should be done for local employees as well as if you have like, uh, key personnel for example we work with gaming industries and they have like coders or developers or like very strategic position that they can't really afford to lose so it's like what can be done for them as well to retain them or to entice a newcomer as well to to join your corporate because more and more Chinese people are getting uh, attention on uh, on the health benefit, especially in top tier cities because uh, the cost of care is expensive. And in particular, we see that the profile of people having a family would definitely care about it because they want the best for their children, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily for themselves at first, but f- at least for their children. They, they want, you know, best care. They also want the best for their parents and so on. So they are getting into that. Uh, so this is what we advise to uh, to business owners don't over over uh, overthink it but talk to uh, you know your hr to see what what can be done what should be done what's the market practice you mentioned already like looking for a local insurance because china it is very regionally organized right? it's not the mm. one, one insurance or one uh, social system is securing you for the whole of china yes can you share a little bit more how this Yes. This is a, a complex matter, as I just say, but indeed, social insurance in China is organized by province or by municipalities. Mm-hmm. So different provinces or different uh, municipalities will, will provide different coverage uh, amounts. So obviously, in richer provinces, then probably the coverage will be better because the uh, local authorities will have more uh, money actually to fund, uh, to fund the schemes. In China, uh, when you do employ, uh, obviously, I mean, uh, Chinese employees, you contribute to social benefits. So I think five types, such as medical, pension, unemployment, maternity, uh, and disability, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a compulsory contribution, both on the employer side and the employee side. So actually, uh, though this is going to fund actually the actually the what what is provided by the by the state and also the employee will have their own account with uh, money uh, accumulation that they can they can use actually to pay for their treatment. So this is just with social insurance. The challenges is, is that they are like compulsory copies, uh, things that are not covered, things that are partially covered, uh, treatment which are limited. The, Drug types actually is very limited. So in the world, there's about 
probably 200,000 type of drugs. And China's social benefit will cover only a fraction, maybe two or three thousand. So it gives, you know, a very, you know, narrower choices for, for people to get treatment. Uh, imported, you know, uh, medicine and so on wouldn't, uh, be covered by the state insurance. Uh, however, now there are like a solution that exists to actually, uh, enhance the coverage, whether it's private, uh, insurance or it's a top up of, uh, of social, uh, social security. So companies will arrange that for their employees. Yes. Yes. We see that, uh, actually, I mean, I was talking right this afternoon with one of our clients and they are uh, buying actually private medical insurance for their foreign employees, which is a small number of their total, uh, you know, workforce, but they are looking at what else they can do for their uh, Chinese employee and one of the discussion was can we you know design a top-up plan to social security so that they can enjoy a higher level of coverage they can maybe uh, enjoy maternity coverage they can enjoy some dental they can enjoy uh, extra outpatient etc so those uh, plans are available and companies I think are quite commonly doing that in top tier cities in, in China. Mm. How is that for you guys? You service mostly companies or is it individuals? We serve both. Uh, and I would say probably in our, in our statistics about 50-50. So we, uh, we do serve corporates from various size, but a lot of SMEs, I would say. So a group of, uh, maybe three to, uh, thousand employees. That's, uh, that's about what we, uh, what we do. We serve international SMEs. We start to serve more and more uh, private Chinese companies as well. And, uh, on the other end, we had, we are able to advise individual, uh, an individual person like you and me who needs to uh, get insured. And we advise them mostly on health, which is our, our core competence, but also on life, uh, protection and on, on property as well, property and casualty. What are the main difference? Because Chinese are now insuring themselves more or they want more coverage. Yeah. Is that because of a, it's a luxury product or is it because there's increased health issues in China or more uh, awareness? They are definitely different factors. So increasing health issue in China is a fact. The rate, I mean, it's a sad news, but the rate of like chronic conditions, cancer, etc., is really increasing uh, very fast in some areas in, in China. So there is definitely more awareness or more interest from the public about, you know, how can they be protected should that happen to them. The COVID-19 situation, I think, would have uh, probably a role of an, I wouldn't say an eye-opener, but maybe more awareness about the importance of being well protected because unfortunately it doesn't happen just to you know the next one it could happen to to yourself as well to uh, to have covid and it's a virus so it's not something visible right it's not like uh, you fall down on the stairs or so unfortunately everyone could could have it and for some people we know the consequence could be quite dramatic Fortunately, we had very few clients who had COVID, but when it happened, it happened. So it means that, that could result in, in very high uh, hospitalization bill, especially for people, you know, uh, being admitted on a serious state, having to spay, spend uh, maybe some, some, some weeks in a hospital. Uh, the bills could, you know, top up very, uh, very easily. Fortunately, in China, what we've seen is the state uh, has been funding actually uh, all of the expense, at least for the local population. 
I'm not sure about expats because we didn't have any expats, you know, sick with COVID in, in China, but we had a few outside of China and definitely we, we saw pretty steep uh, medical bills for those who had had to stay in the hospital. Mm. When it comes to, to health issues itself, is there any difference between China and, and Western? I've read that there's different types of cancers are more common in China than uh, Western. Yes. And do you see any differences? Uh, are there any differences? I, I don't have very precise data to share, but I would say probably one of the common type of cancer is like uh, lung. Uh, because there's probably still about 300 million smoker in China, which is a, a big number. So that's, that's, you know, probably a, a big factor for that. I would say that Chinese people, you know, in the culture, they have a culture of traditional Chinese medicine as well. So I think the, uh, the wellness thing and taking a good care of, of oneself is not something new, uh, in China, but, more in the new generations of people, I would say that probably people want to get the quick benefit or the faster results. And as we know, uh, I mean, some of the principle of Chinese medicine is like it's kind of a balance, you know, within your body and then, you know, some uh, maybe some treatment that you need to take slowly on the long run, etc., to help you restore some balance or cure, you know, some some issue you may have. We see some people, they are not willing to wait. Uh, so they are willing, you know, to go more towards uh, more like Western type of, of, of treatment. Uh, yeah, in uh, especially in the recent recent decade. Is there more older people or younger people? What kind of? I would say, I mean, my, my assumption uh, would say more than the young generation are more like pro, probably more pro uh, Western uh, medicine, uh, simply because also back in the days, you know, back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, probably, you know, Western medicine was not existent uh, really in China or very, very little availability of these. And same, the, the hospital infrastructure was not the same as it is today. So I, I would say it's probably younger generation uh, expectations. Yeah. When it comes to the, the aging population in China, there's, there's going to be a huge group. Everyone is focusing yeah. on the millennials, the millennials this, millennials yes. that. But then we have the aging population in China, Indeed. which is going to be has to be taken care of somehow. Yes, yes, indeed. I mean, I've, I've heard, I think, Shanghai in particular as a big chunk of the population that is over 60, I think is near 30%. Wow. Or I think it, it will be around 30% in, in a few years, maybe 20, 25, but it's going in that direction anyway. So yet the aging population is, I think, a concern in China. And in particular, the family structure has changed also quite dramatically in the last 40 years because uh, there used to be large families so there would be enough children to actually sponsor or you know look after the parents while now there is maybe only one child for two parents wife and husband actually two people have to take care about potentially four parents which means a big you know financial pressure and what we think could happen in uh, in China is probably already happening is the uh, development of uh, more like retirement homes or institution that would be looking after elderly 
with like professional teams and so on, such as we, we have actually quite commonly in Europe, actually, and probably even in the States. But that, that is, I think, coming up in China simply because it would be too complicated probably for a couple to handle, you know, all four parents at the same time. So this is what we can see. But there is still also, I could say, the practice uh, of, of families living together, mostly for children education. So this means that uh, grandparents will live with their children, with their grandchildren, because they will look after them and so on. So that's also one way of having, you know, looking after parents. But it means that only one side of the family is really looked after. So we believe that there will be some some uh, substitution of, of this. I'm one of the example. My mother-in-law lives with us, yeah. helping us with the kids. So yeah. I think uh, we're Same here. part of it. Yeah, you have a daughter is too, right? A, a three-year-old, three. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think we are, we we both have blended in well. I would say. Indeed. I remember I see going to a hospital in my wife's hometown, which is Shanghao, in Jiangxi, and there was a guy sitting next to a bed of someone else who was inpatient, and he was paid to be there. Mm. You basically yes. paid a service just because you're you as a daughter and son you're not always in the same place not mm. even the same city yes. not even the same province mm. to be able to mm. take care of your the grandparents or the, your own parents yes yes this yes. is really uh, indeed i mean we i had experience also with some friends uh, hospitalized and in public hospitals and there, there isn't the same nursing system as we have for instance back in europe where you expect to have you know a nurse really like looking after the patient and you know coming maybe every hours for medica- medication and and so on and so forth in china what we've seen is that the family is actually going to look after the patient even feed the patient wash the patient uh, you know look after him or her it's a family responsibility actually and you can even hire eyes or you can hire helpers actually uh, if you can't do it by yourself you can hire a helper who is going to look after your family member in the hospital simply because no one else will actually look after him or her and it's probably also a consequence of having very crowded uh, very crowded hospitals simply people don't have the time to uh, to do that yeah and the reason why I think it's relevant, not per se relevant directly for China business, but it is what your your employees or your team members are facing, whether you are in China mm-hmm. managing a team or from abroad and having colleagues in China, this is the reality for them. And that that having that understanding of dealing with your colleagues or your team members better by understanding what's trouble they're facing when it comes to health yeah. within their family, Indeed. it's super important because that understanding will help you to grow your business as well yeah. because it will be more more in balance. Yeah, and I must say, I mean, we uh, we experienced having colleagues who unfortunately resigned because they had to look after one of their parents. Quite commonly, I think that's one of the reasons that that happened. It's like, oh, mom or dad is sick, you know, someone need to look after after her. I need to go. I can't, you know, work full-time anymore. We see that happen quite you know, regularly, I would say, in, in people's career that, you know, they'll stop working for a while, look after a parent and then go back on the job market, you know, when the, the situation is, is stable. Yeah, that's just a fact, actually, that we uh, we need to accept. So regarding the 
uh, technology in the in the health industry. Um, I mean, China is aware that there's an aging population. Mm. They're aware there are health issues. Yes. Uh, um, but they're knowing China, they're preparing for that as well. Yeah. What kind of t- technology changes have you seen or are, are, or do you know yeah. of? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, relating to what we do, we've seen a lot of changes on the digital space uh, about insurance and about health in particular whether it's about uh, having a better access to hospitals, finding where they are, uh, the geolocalization, their specialization, and so on. So on the hospital access part, there's been quite a lot of effort. Also uh, about the, um, I would say, the claiming part, claiming online, having access to your information online, and so on. Uh, we've seen that. Now we are seeing also a fast development of uh, telemedicine. And probably, I mean, COVID only was an accelerator. I mean, that was already in place before, but that probably accelerated the move for more, you know, companies to provide those services where you can't see physically a doctor, then at least you can have maybe a video call or simply a phone call, getting information. The more advanced one, I would say even have a self, self-diagnosis uh, kind of apps where you can actually, uh, you know, just type in What's your issue? And then the system will ask you a question, right? Say, oh, I have a headache. Then I'll say, oh, since when do you have a headache? Then you'll say, okay, since two hours. Then uh, did you drink water or blah, blah. You know, you'll have a conversation actually with the robot that will actually narrow down possible causes of your headache and give you suggestion or maybe a, not even a treatment plan, but just recommendation saying, oh, you need to, you know, probably consider doing this and that, or maybe you need to see an actual, you know, real physician. But we see those uh, technologies coming up. And that's uh, also, I think, playing a favorable role for people to have access to information because many people actually go and visit because they don't know what they have. So Usually when you don't know what you have, you tend to be a little bit anxious and like, yeah, I want to know, right? I don't want to be in a situation where maybe I have this kind of pain and then I, I'm not so sure and then I'm not going to wait and so on. And, and that we see that probably there is among the volume of consultation, there's probably, you know, a, a good portion of, uh, of those actually that could already be kind of partially answered or fully answered through information access. Uh, so we see that insurance companies in particular are developing, you know, more resource, uh, and they are doing that together with uh, medical institution, actually, who are providing the answers and the, the, the know-how behind it so that people will have quicker and potentially more accurate uh, answers to, uh, to their request. That would make sense. Yeah, I assume that you've been to a Chinese hospital. I, I, yes, I, I have. I've been, and I feel like um, you're in there for one minute and then you're out. That mm. could have been done online. Oh, that's that, that, that's a good journey then because uh, the last well, time I went... To the doctor, not the <laughs> queuing right, part. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I mean, the, the, the top public hospitals, uh, and there are many top public hospitals uh, in Shanghai who have very good reputation, are super crowded. So I mean, everyone wants to get there because they know probably the best specialists are there. And um, what happened is like, yeah, you have a lot of queuing before you can see a doctor. You need to go register first, then you go queuing, then you will see a doctor. 
is probably going to ask you to do a, maybe a blood test or some you know kind of exams then you have to queue doing your exams and then queuing back to see the doctor so overall the process are a little bit inefficient and and you'll you know waste a lot of time from when you arrive to to the the end or the conclusion uh, if hopefully you get a conclusion on your treatment so that that is a challenge the it's not a problem of competence it's simply a problem of you know being too crowded I think what is probably going to be the trend moving forward in China is that local community centers, so basically where you live, close by where you live, you'll go to that center first to get probably the first, you know, kind of care. And then if you need to go and see a specialist and maybe go to another top uh, hospital, then you'll be referred to go there. A little bit like we have back home, uh, in Europe at least, we have the concept of GP that is not really uh, present in China, where you go to see a physician for general matters, basically. And if that physician cannot, you know, solve your issue, but identify who can do it, then he will refer you to a specialist, and then you'll go to see that specialist, is often how it works. So this means that they will be the first point of entry and they maybe will be able to solve a lot of cases by themselves without you having to go to see a specialist. While in China and in Chinese medicine, there is no GP. You go to see a specialist right away. This means you need to be well educated enough to understand what you have so that you go and talk to the right specialist, which, you know, could also be inefficient if you are not sure, right? Because you may go and see someone that's not the right person to help you, then you need to go again and see someone else and, you know, until you, you have more, uh, more idea on, on your issues. Are there any examples of these kind of local clinics, of like local centers that you describe, or is that just what you expect that will happen? I think it already exists in Shanghai in particular. I mean, I haven't been there myself in particular, and I'm, I'm not uh, sure how much it is promoted at the moment. But I think this will be a trend at least to reduce the volume of patients in top public hospital. I still remember like 10 years ago having a, a lunch with one of the top director, I mean medical director in Regin Hospital, which is quite an institution in Shanghai. And back then he was telling me that at Regin every day they, they were doing 8,000 consultations you know, in the main uh, general hospital uh, building. So it was like, you know, more crowded than, than a crowded mall when it sells, right? So it was really, really busy. So I think that's why hospitals also have developed also VIP wings where you can go without, you know, so much queuing. It's most, most of the time it's the same doctor actually who goes into the VIP, if you call it. The, the only advantage is like, yeah, the queuing time is, is shorter. And for foreigners like us, then, then often you have people who can speak English, which is very practical if you don't speak a good Mandarin or if you don't have someone who can help you understand what is happening. I want to go back a little bit to your career here at Abacare. You're running a team. How many, how many people are here? Uh, I have 25 in Shanghai and another 23 in Beijing. And you have to travel to Beijing occasionally, I assume. Yes, yeah, I used to travel very often there and then COVID happened. So uh, I <laughs> travel a lot less, but I, I would be there every six weeks, uh, pretty much. 
So how do you manage your team? You have like a layer of individuals you only talk to or you are, it's all to you? Or how do you uh, actually, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to everyone, but uh, on, on day-to-day business uh, organization, I uh, so for my Beijing office, I would mostly ta- talk to my GM here, there who is managing the, the company and, and talk to his uh, head of servicing. Uh, to see what's happening, you know, with both individual and corporate clients. So it's kind of more like, uh, uh, supervision, I would say, of, of what they are doing. And here in Shanghai, I'm talking mostly to the, uh, so sales team, I handle myself. Service team, I mostly talk to the head of servicing, uh, head of corporate and head of, uh, individual servicing. And then after, like, more like the back office function as well, such as HR and finance. Uh, as well. So I'll have, you know, meeting and, and time to talk to each of them. But obviously I'm available for anyone, mm-hmm. uh, if they have issues or questions or, uh, wherever they need my help, they, they can go and, uh, knock at my door. It's, it's always open. And what, and what's the mix between foreigners and Chinese? Uh, we do have, uh, of course, a large majority of Chinese colleagues. We have about, uh, about 20% probably in, in, in Shanghai, uh, of expats and probably 10% in Beijing. Uh, so we are more local in Beijing. We want to have anyway, uh, uh, a, a blend, uh, because moving forward, our goal is also to serve more Chinese people. And for the expats, we also try to have, uh, different communities because we want to be able to serve people in English, maybe in French, in German, in Spanish. So when we can, we try to have, you know, uh, people coming from different parts of the world. Because first of all, I think international team is probably more rich. It's more, you know, on day-to-day basis, it's more enriching, you know, working with them. They have different point of view, different ideas, different ways of, of doing things. And also we want to be able to cater the needs, I would say, of... Uh, of in particular for foreign community of, of different uh, communities in their own native language, which is important, I think, for something like insurance, which can be complicated. So we just want to make sure they can fully comprehend actually the, uh, the protection, how it works and, and what they need to do, you know, when they, when they need to use it. Still localizing within the foreign communities. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think foreign community, I mean, it's unfortunately shrinking. Uh, we, we do hope after the travel, you know, is, is easier, there will be more people coming to China. And I hopefully, I mean, Chinese uh, authority are also more willing, you know, to have uh, foreign talents, you know, in specific areas to, to come into China. So we, we still expect there will be a rebound in the number. However, uh, it's a niche market. I mean, uh, looking at the size of the country is a super niche market. So uh, we definitely need to address the needs, uh, I would say, of, of middle class or upper class, you know, uh, Chinese uh, group who can actually afford and who are willing to get, you know, uh, private health, uh, access private care or maybe overseas care as well. So this is also a target for us. Mm. In my own experience, I think like being a general manager can be quite lonely and at least lonely in the top because now yeah. also you're in between a Chinese owner and then mm. your, your team as well. So it might mm. be uh, a little bit of a squeeze. So, so what kind of communities or networks or tools uh, would you recommend to make use of? 
Sure. Yeah, I think what what you what you are referring to is is true. It could happen to feel a little bit lonely, and I feel like because I've I've worked in many positions before, and being a team member or being the boss is a different feeling. Actually, people don't address you the same. They will not tell you things the same way. So I think that's why it's important to stay close to the team, or at least to have a atmosphere where everyone, you know, feels, you know, welcome and that they can say what they have to say. And so that, that is one part. So I personally, I try to connect, uh, a lot with maybe other executives through different ways. Um, some uh, groups that I am part of, like a group of, you know, like uh, GM or kind of uh, maybe C-level, like people who are mostly like leading some businesses. I'm part of uh, groups like French Founder, for example, which is uh, more like entrepreneurs, uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs in China or uh, directors of, uh, of companies. Uh, so they are like all uh, French speaking, not all, not all French, but French speaking. And also through, uh, yeah, like chambers of commerce. I mean, some chambers, they have like uh, dedicated groups or uh, professional communities as well, try to be part of. So at least we share some best practice or some, some experience, you know, working in China. Yeah. Uh, so that, that help, uh, I find to keep connected yeah yeah you've been here abaca now for 12 years if you look back at that so far i think there are probably going to be much more highlights but what is the what has been your highlight or your proudest moment yeah i would say time flies <laughs> i mean 12 years have gone very quick i would say two two things are highlight one is a, a case uh, that i'm i'm happy really to uh, have made a, a difference for our client is someone who uh, had uh, unfortunately was diagnosed with leukemia at 45 or 47 year old a gentleman here who was uh, divorced and uh, had a 15 year old daughter he was the ceo of uh, of, uh, of a company so definitely a life uh, completely life changing you know news being diagnosed with uh, this kind of cancer which is actually quite dreadly uh, type of disease so he came to me and said, well, with my insurance plan, so we're the broker for, for his policy, for his company, actually. I say, uh, you know, can I get access to a specific treatment? You know, there was at the time a, a new treatment that was developed uh, in, in a very few countries. Australia, US, I think are the two, maybe another one, but very, very few countries in the world. And they say it's a specific treatment for the kind of, you know, condition that I have. Can that be covered by my insurance? First answer was no. Uh, the cost of the treatment, to give you an idea, was 10,000 US a month. Okay, so 120K a year. And we made it after negotiation and pushing back and forth with the insurer to get that covered, actually. So that was covered. For him, he worked like really well. So after, you know, a few months already, he could really feel the effect. And actually, he got cured from the disease, but he had to keep taking the, the treatment for longer. So, I mean, for, from his years in China, he had very, very large claim, obviously, but we always managed for him to keep his coverage. So he was not dropped off the plan and so on. I think for him, it was, uh, I mean, what we could achieve was uh, life-changing in a good sense that he could actually 
resume back to his life. And uh, I know even after he, he got married again, he had a new kid and so on. So he could really start, you know, again, uh, his new life. And I, I don't take the credit, but I would say we have at least contributed to, to make that easier for him. And what I'm pretty sure of is it would have been very difficult for him as one person to go and bargain, you know, with one large, huge insurance company. The effect would have been, uh, you know, probably would have been taking maybe a longer period of time and so on. And when you have to pay 10k US, you know, to stay alive a month, uh, you want, you, you know, you want a quick result, right? Obviously. So. We were able to uh, to get that, I think, from him maybe in a couple of months. Um, so it didn't didn't take uh, didn't take a while. In the last five years, he, he could be treated and and get reimbursed all the time for all of the batch of, of claims he made. So I think he was, you know, very grateful to us, and uh, and I think I'm happy personally to have contributed to uh, make his life better. So that's one example. Second, I would say is is just about. Having been 12 years in, in, in that company, I, I took in a lot of new talents also. I hired them for here, but some of them left. And I'm always pleased that, you know, I can see some people who've done well or I, I bring this guy in a business. I, you know, I did his first client with him. I taught him the job and, and so on. And I think there's been a number of, of this actually in Abakia who've been well trained and, uh, understood the business well and ended up, you know, uh, doing very well in their, their future career. So I think I, for me, it's also a, a good gratification, I would say, of, uh, of the job and uh, a good achievement. Yeah. yeah. Running a business or being a company, in the end, you're a platform for someone else to grow. Yeah, Not only your company, your business, but also the individual. So yeah, yeah. To yeah, see indeed. them... This is reaching the ceiling within the company and going somewhere else and making much more happen there is, is very gratifying. I fully agree. Yes, that's, yes, that's it's awesome. very gratifying. Awesome. If uh, people want to follow you, where would you send them to? Easier probably is for them to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn so they can find me with my first name, so Jonathan and last name Chapon. They can uh, add me there and uh, and ask me, you know, if they want to talk to me. There is my email address uh, over there as well. So probably the easiest. I'm on WeChat as well. I'm on WhatsApp. <laughs> I'm fully reachable, <laughs> I think. Awesome. But the easiest would be LinkedIn. Okay, good. So if you have any questions to Jonathan about health industry, but also about running a business or just about life in Shanghai, feel free to reach out to him. He will be happy to reach out to you, answer your questions and maybe build a relationship, a career or whatever. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan. It's nice to be in your office. <laughs> Thank you very much for your invitation. Thank you for making it here. I know it's a good uh, commitment, a strong commitment to make a podcast. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. Cool. Hi, Raymond. Thank you very much for getting in touch with me today. As we promised to our listeners last time we were talking on episode 118, um, you're giving away one customs compliance analysis. And uh, we received a few questions. And the most interesting one selected by you was about uh, the legislation. So if a foreign company selling the products to Chinese market, and because of the changes 
in legislation, the product becomes not compliant in China. How possible is it that the people in the company overseas would be facing some financial or legal action against them? I think that's the question. So how would you address it and what do you think about it? Mm. So usually uh, for the uh, foreign enterprise, the management and the overseas uh, persons uh, will not usually be uh, liable and to any sort of penalty uh, such, uh, especially imprisonment, because it's a uh, foreign jurisdiction. But the subsidiary, if, if, if the company does have a subsidiary in China, or the agent or the uh, importer, Will be could be responsible and liable for any food safety problems or product safety issues. So and last time when we were talking, you yeah. were saying that um, it is uh, particularly sensitive when it comes to mother and children products. So if, mm. for example, there is I don't know food poisoning happening uh, as a result of uh, contaminated uh, child's product, uh, you are saying that the company overseas that exported it would not be facing any fines or action or how would that work? Yeah, so usually, so there have been cases uh, uh, previously uh, where a foreign company, but they have a subsidiary in China. Uh, I, I want to maybe share a, a case okay. study. Uh, Interesting, yeah, please. In two, yeah, <laughs> there was a high, high profile food safety case in 2014 with a US food supplier, uh, OSI, they were fined around four four hundred thousand US dollars, and handed uh, prison sentences to around ten of its employees, ranging from around one to three years, uh, over allegations uh, of selling expired meat to fast food chains. Mm. And OSI is a is a very famous uh, supplier. Uh, they supplied foods to like McDonald's, KFC, yeah. uh, and other others in China. And a foreign national was actually um, uh, prosecuted, and but this person was located in China. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in compliance really uh, could put food safety violators on the, such a blacklist. And penalty is usually the uh, first thing. And then potentially if it's really serious, then the personnel could be, uh, could also face imprisonment if they're located in China. Yeah, so they have to have a subsidiary, so, right? If it is... Uh... Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, so it's the person, it's usually against the person uh, within the territory of China, but it also includes foreigners living in China. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes. thank you for the answer and congratulations to the lucky winner. We will get in touch with you and um, you will be able to get um, your products uh, audited and analyzed uh, in regards to importation possibilities in China. Congratulations. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.